I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Mark McBride. And this is a podcast about that time we made up two whole new styles of yo-yo play. And at the time, nobody cared. And now, a few people care. Maybe. All right. So in our last episode, we kind of talked about my whole origin story and like how I got started yo-yoing. Mark, let's talk about how you got started. Ah, uh, oh man. Cue, uh, cue the uh, time ripples. Uh, you know, man, talk about a Wayne's World reference that I don't think anybody under the no. age of 40 is going to get. <laughs> no, no. But all those 40-somethings are going to be like, I like those guys. I like those guys. <laughs> So you got started, I know, like, I know where your, like, aha moment happened, right? But, like, when did you first pick up a yo-yo? So, the, as the legend goes, first time I really played with a yo-yo was middle school. And my dad, as classic fashion, comes home from the office with just a promo yo-yo. Now that looking back, you know, it was from whatever merch company it had, like, you know, insurance company logo on the side type thing and i was like i enjoyed the hell out of it but i didn't know anybody like my dad showed me how to throw yo-yo so that it comes back that's all he knew that's all i knew boom back we knew that there were tricks we know that there are things like walk the dog and around the world and loop to loop never seen them okay right so i got to a point where like i could get, i had a good throw now good throw will get you up and down and and like kind of a loop. I could go like I could throw and get it back in any direction, you know. I remember getting to a point where I was trying to learn more tricks. I enjoyed it enough like and the yo-yo that I had because again it was just a promotional yo-yo had that flat side. It was like a Dunkin' Imperial, but like it had a flat side so that the printer could just, you know, slap a logo on it. It was probably a Humphreys, which that was the that was the company that made like all the promo yo-yos for a really long time. It was just like kind of a a bulbous sort of organic shape but with like a huge flat side but not a butterfly shape no it was an imperial with a flat side so they could print size so they could print on it but it also was the exact same diameter as a slime balls brand skate wheel sticker so i had i had this yo-yo that had these little skate stickers because i was a little skater kid at the time so the fact that i had a slime balls yo-yo was kind of cool you know I got to a point where the trick I started to try and work on was walk the dog. There's one crucial piece of information missing here that we'll get to soon enough, which is to do the walk the dog, the yo-yo has to sleep. I don't know what sleeping is. So I'm literally throwing the yo-yo like close enough to the ground that the unrolling of the yo-yo is it rolling across the ground and then lifting it up and having to come back to my hand because I thought that's what walk the dog was. <laughs> Wow. That's actually noticeably harder. I think. I think it is too. And so, and it doesn't really work. <laughs> it's, it's, no, it really doesn't, it doesn't work at work. all. So needless to say, I do not get much traction with this trick. And eventually this yo-yo ends up in the, uh, in the junk drawer with, you know, 
not being pulled out nearly as much as it should be. And um, it's forgotten. Then I go in, like, then flash forward to high school. Somehow in high school, we would always stop by, like, convenience stores and get snacks and stuff when we were going out. And I would always get like blue blow pops and a copy of the Weekly World News. And so it became just kind of a habit. Weekly World News, blue blow pops. So then I go off to college, Florida State, Tallahassee, Florida. Somehow over the course of my first semester, I am just packing on the weight. Obviously, it's the blow pops. (laughs) It's not the fact that I'm eating like shit at this point. Classic freshman 15, classic overeating with the like, like I'm working at the computer lab. The only place where I can get a meal at the end of the day is like the student union. I get like a big slice of pizza and like a 32 ounce orange soda and some rubbery breadsticks. And that like I ate that every night in like McDonald's on the weekend. And like, no, it's not that. It's obviously the blow pops. (laughs) Obviously the blow pops. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So so I'm like, this is like a cigarette for non-smoker. I got to have something else to do with my hands and stop eating these blow pops. So I go to Toys R Us and I buy a yo-yo because I remember, I remember the yo, I remember that I got a Dunkin Imperial. By this point, like so, at this point, I'm carrying around a yo-yo. You know, college fashion. You know, you, you're seeing all the same friends and hanging out at the same, you know, like shows and stuff like that. And people would be like, "Wow, yo-yo, do you know any tricks?" I was like, "No, can you teach me some?" And they all went, "No," you know. And I was like, "Hey, can you do tricks?" No, can you teach me any? No. And I remember. I'm pretty sure it was my friend Trad, but it might have been his twin brother, David. And I had Yo-Yo, and they go, you know any tricks? And I go, no. And they goes, well, do you know how to make it sleep? And I went, what? Teaches me how. It's like, yeah, so actually, you got to make your Yo-Yo sleep. And I was like, like, and again, this it, cue the, you know, cue the transition of like, you know, the background falls out and the, and the, the galaxy comes thus down and like, you know, like, like the 2001 like lines start shooting across my face that like all knowledge of the universe is thus opened up to me. <laughs> so I learn how to sleep a yo-yo. So now that opens up walk the dog and rock the baby and around the world. I'm at, you know I'm having fun and at this point there's a couple guys that I had made friends with, mainly Brian and another guy named Todd, which again, this is show friends. Like they're buddies that you would see at shows and, you know, like at all the college places. And right, yeah. Brian had a little, like, wood, little, he had a wood yo yo in a leather pouch because it oh, was that hard. So that was, that was an old Tom Coon. Yeah, he had a Tom Coon because he worked at this place called Lofty Pursuits. And he's like, yeah, you should come by. So did Todd. Like they worked at a place that actually sold yo-yos and stuff. And so they, we, he taught me, he, he, he was probably the one who taught me like most of those like tricks. So I don't remember either of these people. They graduated and left Tallahassee before you came on to Lofty. So that summer I had off. Now the Florida State's film program, you were working on films every summer, except for your, after your freshman year. Okay. So a friend of mine Kevin Klein, who actually now has a great restaurant in San Francisco called The Front Porch. If you're ever there, you should check it out. It's amazing. Kevin's an old buddy from high school, like real tight. And he had this idea that he always wanted to take a bread truck and drive a bread truck around the country, you know, and get in misadventures and have the grand road trip. And so I said, I'm in. So he starts looking this up. Turns out that uh, the insurance on driving a bread truck around the country is prohibitive. <laughs> so all of a sudden we, you know, so our grand road trip 
like shrinks down to a plane ticket from Florida to San Francisco, and then forty days later, a plane a plane ticket out of Los Angeles. So we're gonna fly to LA, bum around California, and then leave Southern California. Fly to San Francisco, bum around, leave out of LA. Got it. Wonderful adventure of a time. I was going to go all, I went all the way down to San Diego. So we went through uh, like LA, we went from San Francisco to LA together. My mom's cousin lived in Reseda. She let us borrow some bikes. And we had this genius idea. And if you know, so if you know LA geography, you'll laugh as far as how terrible an idea this really is. We're looking at the map and we're like, oh, we can ride a bike from Reseda to Malibu. <laughs> you look at a map and that's like four or five miles, right? It's not, really, it's not that far kind of thing. But we're two Florida boys. Florida's, Florida is just a sandbar that happened to be slightly taller than the Gulf of Mexico. We have no concept of this thing called mountains. You know, we go through the mountains, which again, like we are on Walmart special bikes borrowed from my mom's cousin. She told me like years later, she's like, yeah, we had to throw those bikes away because they were destroyed by the time you got back. Holy shit. Usually guys in the canyons, that's like for motorcycles and like these high performance bikes. And we're on these like, you know, you know, Schwinn's. But somehow Kevin decides that this just works for him. He gets another bike and rides it up to San Francisco. Like... Like afterwards, he rides back up to San Francisco. I'm like, I got to check out San Diego. I am pulled to San Diego. So I go down to San Diego, live, love, learn, great time, come back to LA. And so I've got a few days before my plane leaves and I'm burning time. Kevin's gone. I'm by myself in LA. And I remember like my mom's cousin or like one of her friends, we were talking, we were, we were talking about like, oh, what should we do in LA? And they're like, and they said, you know what I think of when I ever think of LA, especially us, you know, youngsters kind of thing is Melrose. This is 1990, the summer of 94. So this is back when Melrose was still like just a few years out from like it's Jane's Addiction style heyday. You know, it was still like right. punk rock shops like Red Balls and Retail Slut and all of these shops are still there. I didn't know any of these. Right. I just had a map. And Melrose is actually a pretty big road that goes east-west. So I got nothing to do. I'm burning time. I take the city bus from Santa Monica where I was like at a youth hostel. And I'm like, I'm going to go try. I'm going to go try and like find this infamous Melrose. So Melrose intersected Santa Monica. I, start, I got off the bus and started walking. Now the first mile or two, it's maybe furniture shops, you know? And I'm like, this isn't mm -hmm. very interesting or punk rock. Fuck it. I'm just going to sit here and take the bus back up to Hollywood where I know there's like fun, cool stuff happening in Hollywood. So I'm at the corner of Fairfax and Melrose. Sitting on a bench. Sitting on a bus bench. Waiting for the line that goes up Fairfax and over into Hollywood. The bus pulls up. I pull on my wall and all I've got is a five, right? Bus fare at this point is like a buck 25, right? And I'm like, and they, and they don't give you change, obviously. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to give you five bucks for a ride to, because I, I, I got nothing to do. Like, and I wave the bus on, wave the bus on. I'm going to go get change, you know, at the gas station. Right. From this gas, and it's also an excuse. Like, I can see a shop that's advertising boots. Now, again, this is back in the old punk rock days kind of thing. So, 
hey, like, I like me some Doc Martens, you know? I break my five at the gas station and then walk over to the, um, the boot shop. And then a few doors down from the boot shop, there's a record store. And then past the record store, there's a comic book store. Turns out this is actually where Melrose starts. Right. So I start fumbling in. That trip, I successfully found the one Susie and the Banshee shirt that I had been searching for all up and down California. It, but the real important, like, interesting thing was not the Susie and the Banshee shop shirt at the, at the punk rock shop. It was the comic book shop. I roll into the comic book shop, Golden Apple Comics. Turns out Golden Apple Comics is the comic book shop, definitely on the West Coast. It was Golden Apple Comics, and then there was like Midtown Comics in Manhattan. Like there's like those are the two comic book shops in the country, right? right. Great comic book yeah. shop. Cool. So I roll in there, I'm playing with my yo-yo, and the guy behind the counter, he's like, uh, hey, you got a yo-yo there. Like, check it out. I was like, yeah, cool, you know. And I get my yo, he's like, wow, this string's, this is old. You know, this string's old. And he, he goes, here, let me. And he reaches down to a box somewhere behind the counter, pulls out a new yo-yo string, takes my string off, puts on a new yo-yo string. I'm like, holy shit, you can change the string of a yo-yo? <laughs> At this point, I thought that you played with the yo-yo until the string died, and then you went and bought a new one for Toys R Us. You can oh you can God. change the string on a yo-yo. Oh my, my eyes are open. And he's like, oh yeah, this is like, let me show you this kind of thing. Boom, gives me a new show. I'm like, this is amazing. Mind blown. Bill Leibowitz. Oh, oh my Bill. gosh. Like he he's gonna come back. He comes back in so many stories of yo-yoing. Man, that guy ends ends up at like, you know, again, pillar of yo-yoing. But at the time, he's just a dude that owned the biggest, best comic book store in LA. Right. And I go, thanks, man. Cool. He tells me that there's these things, these like really good yo-yos, and they have things like called transaxles. Like there's pro yo-yos. And if you want a really good yo-yo, you get a wood yo-yo. And he, But he also had a real pro yo-yo called a Yomega with a brain. <laughs> if you know your history at this point, Yomega with a brain was the auto return clutch. They were still super specialty yo-yos. You would bought them at like kite shops. You could buy them at like kite shops, but the biggest retailer of those things was um, science and learning stores. Yes, yes. Remember when those used to be a thing? Like the you know, like you could go into these stores and it was all like science and learning toys. Yeah, or like you'd go on a field trip to like the museum and the like the really great yeah museum gift shops. So that's exactly where they were. They weren't mass market toys at that point. They were these you know like heavy acrylic like good yo-yos and again the and he threw that thing and it just sailed like just oh my gosh that sleeper lasted at least 10 15 20 seconds <laughs> oh 10 15 seconds damn man like ah <laughs> oh, dude and he says yeah man and it's like yeah this is a really good one but again the good yo-yos are wood yo-yos okay so thank you for the yo-yo string thank you for opening my eyes I will never be the same. I uh, I came in a blind man and thus I now see, you know, I, I head out, hop back on, you know, like eventually, you know, like days later, I'm on a, I'm on a plane back to Florida, X number of however long later, I'm back in Tallahassee and went and got a Yomega power spin, but not from Greg at Lofty Pursuits. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I found myself at some other learning, one of those learning stores, you know, 
that yeah. sold these things and I got this and I was like, again, a tense, like I could do five around the worlds with this Omega, the Omega power spin, five of them, God. mind five. blown. <laughs> so, and then I go back to, you know, like by that point I'm doing more tricks. Like, you know, I, I think that Brian might've left by this point. No, he hadn't left by this point because we overlapped slightly. So yeah, so I'm learning more tricks from Brian and Todd. And then at the end of my sophomore year in college, they fired all of us undergrads. Like I had a computer job. Like I ran the, I was at like, ran the computer labs at night. They just said, uh, all you undergrads no longer have jobs. We're giving your jobs to the graduate students. I had to go get a job. So same thing. Like, you know, you just start pounding the pavement, like just look, like just collecting, collecting applications. And I was at the mall and Brian was working the, working the cart. I said, Hey, how you doing? Da, 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 you know? And he's like, dude, you should go out to the shop and talk to Greg, you know, get a job. I went out there, met with Greg. And he's like, yeah, we are looking for somebody. What can you do, kid? You know, like same kind of thing. <laughs> and I, I pull out my, my Duncan Midnight Special because I oh. realized that the, the Midnight Specials of all of the Imperials were the heavier plastic. So that was yeah. the good one. Now, at this point, I will say, after meeting Bill, I went back to Toys R Us, got a wood yo-yo from Toys R Us, which a wood yo-yo from Toys R Us is something that should be in a pinata, you know? Like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, Garbage. this is terrible. I don't know what he's talking about. Never touched it again. So I kept on with my, my, uh, wood, my excuse me, my midnight special. I did have my Yomega, but it was like so super special and, you know, sacred that I never pulled it out, you know? And so I'm doing tricks with Greg. And at that point, at that point, Greg was the best yo-yoer of, of us. You know, like he could, you know, Greg was best yo-yoer of us. So he, um, he was teaching, showing me tricks. I was like, wow, cool. And uh, yeah, started working for him. Same thing. It was just like, I need, he needed someone to, he needed somebody that could work the, work the crap shifts at the mall cart because it had to be open when nobody was really there. And I was like, sure, dude, like worked around my class schedule. I was in started working back at the um at the shop eventually like they he closed down he stopped doing the cart at some point yeah that would have been after they, they, yeah they raised price i remember him complaining about it like they had raised rent like dramatically and and it just wasn't worth it anymore yeah yeah so and now in similar to you like like i'm working these dead shifts so i practiced and learned all the props, learned how to juggle, learned how to Diablo, learn, you know, practice like contact juggling, like practice my yo-yoing as much as the, as much as there were tricks to learn at that point, you know? Yeah. It, that, because also while there were, I think that there were, there were some books out, but really the only books we knew of were the, were, was the Duncan yo-yo trick, the little green one. Yeah, there was the little green Duncan Yo-Yo trick book, and then there was the couple of videos, the Arnie Dixon one, which, I mean, there was only like 10 or 12 tricks on that. There was the Dennis McBride videos, but they were, I mean, it was a lot of like two-handed stuff, which we just weren't doing or weren't interested in. And I mean, that was it. There was no websites. There was no, there was no no variety of places to learn. There was no nothing. About this point in time in history is when 
you know, you started working there and got really engaged in it. We started doing the, um, you know, the Oliver Toys stuff. Like this was, this was something I enjoyed, but you were the one who was like trying to get good. And I had a head start on you. So basically I was just doing tricks to stay better than Steve. <laughs> right. And you were doing stuff almost specifically just to taunt me. Yeah. Because <laughs> you were just like, oh, well, I can do that. And you would just like trot something out. And you weren't doing it a lot, but like every once in a while, like basically as soon as I would get excited about something, you'd be like, yeah, whatever. Anyway, how about this? And you were, and I'm just like, oh, shit, I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> God damn it. And I was so mad, you know, because I, I didn't know what I didn't know. Well, there was nothing too new. No, we were making that shit up out of nowhere. Like, like those were tricks that I was playing with because the the trick stopped it, split the atom. And here we are, here we were playing with transaxle yo-yos where you could really fling those things and go trick to trick to trick to trick to trick, which is what I thought by legend, Tommy Smothers and everyone was doing was just, you know, these long strings of incredible yo-yo tricks that when somebody would look at them, they would say, how is that not in a big knot? You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And that was the thing is that from like when we met Dale, when we were talking to Dale and he was describing the stuff that people did, it sounded so much better than when we actually found footage of it. Yeah. Like, you know, the way that he described it, it was like, this sounds amazing. And then we'd see, you know, we'd find like a, you know, a, a third generation dupe of a VHS that somebody recorded off the TV or something. And we'd see it and we were like, that's like the same shit that we're doing, except he looped out. My reaction was like, I must not be seeing that's that stuff. Right. Yeah. We were always like, oh, this must not be the one. There must be this other thing. Yeah. And you were the one who was like, I'm going to watch all the videos and learn all the stuff. And you were touting how you could do all these kinds of things. And I was like, yeah. missing all the found fundamentals and foundational stuff and just being like, oh, here's another like crazy intricate thing. And you'd be like, son of a bitch. <laughs> well, and I remember, so, and this was the thing that spun me off, right? Is that, you know, we had that green Duncan trick book and I was trying to learn tricks off of that because that was all you had. Yeah. Um, and, and there was more tricks in that book than there were on the Arnie Dixon video. Yeah. So I was trying to learn tricks off of that. And I was trying to learn split the atom. And that was when I came up with what I would later name chain reaction. Yeah. And so I, so Dale came and he was like, well, well can you do split the atom? And I'm like, yeah, I can. And I showed him and it was completely wrong. It was a completely different trick. And he looked at me and he goes, well, what's that? And I'm like, that's split the atom. He's like, that's not split the atom. That's something new. Nice. And as soon as he said that, that was literally the first moment that it occurred to me that I could just make up new tricks. It hadn't occurred to me before, and I don't know why it hadn't, but for some reason it was like, I'm just trying to, I was trying to dig out like all these old tricks from like, you know, these like lost archives of yo-yo history. And it never occurred to me to be like, oh, fuck it. I'll just make up new ones. Yeah. And then as soon as that happened, I realized like I made up a new trick wait, I can just make up, I can make up new tricks. I can make up new tricks. And then that became all I wanted to do. Yeah. And that was something which I remember, well, two things. One, this will probably be, man, this is another tease to what should be a future episode. Uh, when we, when I finally started doing the Anomicon and doing like breaking a lot of these tricks down, 
getting to a point where I was like, okay, I'm going to break out, mathematically break out all the tricks that I could find, including going through the Duncan trick book, right? Because again, like mm -hmm. at this point, we're just like strip mining any resources, getting to right. split the atom and realizing it's mathematically impossible to do the trick as it's written in that damn book. <laughs> right. And I remember you complaining about that. Yeah. I remember you were, you were livid about that. You were so pissed. You were like, okay here look and then you're like you know trying to like you're trying to like sketch it out you're trying to show me like and i'm like holding the because this is how we used to figure out yo-yo tricks is that somebody else would hold the yo-yo yes and you would move the string around it to try and explain like, it to them we and we were like we must be missing something here because you can't do it the way that they're drawing it right because yeah so like i'm holding the yo-yo and you're like okay so the book says this right and i'm like yeah and then you like move okay now what does the book say to do and i'm like talking you through the steps and you're like you do it and we're like but it doesn't work because if you do it then it blah blah, blah. and we're sitting and going through it and we're like oh my god and, and at the time you know like we were just like we just proved the bible wrong you know like it was like this huge like that book was the sum total of yo-yo knowledge yeah. that we had been able to find and so finding like mistakes or errors in that was just you know it was mind-blowing to us yeah. and then that but that was also like that was that turning point where we realized like or what if we just made up new shit? Yeah. And the other thing that, another thing that I didn't understand at the time, and I only understood much later looking backwards, is if you looked at that time in history before the internet, where this kind of explosion of creativity was happening, it would be happening in, it was happening in a handful of little pockets. And all those pockets usually had, all those pockets had like two guys or like a few guys who were essentially bouncing stuff off of each other, slightly competing with each other, mm -hmm. you know? And like you and I were doing that in Tallahassee where it was like, at, like, as you were, you know, saying like you were constantly learning all the fundamentals and I was just trying to stay ahead of you. I mean, it was that, it was that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say this knowing full well that saying this out loud is going to sound like the most douchiest asshole thing imaginable, but it was that same, that was, it was that Lennon McCartney mechanic, right? Yeah. Where it's like, you've got to have two people that are roughly at equal levels, but in slightly different directions yeah. that are constantly trying to one up each other. Yeah. Like, and you know, you've watched this play out in like millions of different ways with millions of different pairs of people, but it's, you, you've got to have those two people that are really, really close in ability with different strong points who both work well together and are also slightly antagonistic towards each other. Yeah. And that was us a hundred percent, you know, and that's how, you know, we kept pushing each other. And, you know, even after you left, like we would still touch base yeah. And we were always still trying to kind of one up each other. Yeah, I mean, but it, there was definitely a point though where you you eclipsed me, and it was never, you know, like the. And I remember, I remember the point where I remember the point where I eclipsed Greg. I be, when I became better than Greg, like whoa, Greg obviously never tried, you know. And so like I was feeling good, and then like I said, kept trying to get ahead of you, but you were really trying hard, and so eventually you eclipsed me. Well, the point, like the point where I eclipsed you happened much sooner than the point where I realized I had eclipsed you. Oh, you think so, motherfucker? I mean, well, it did. Because <laughs> that's the thing is that I didn't have, again, like we were doing all of this without context. Yeah. So like, so there was definitely a point where I got better than you, but I didn't think I was. And so I was still trying really, really hard. 
because I always assumed that you had more stuff that you hadn't shown me. You also, but the other thing is that that was also the chapter where you were still trying to prove your guru, Dale Oliver, was right that all things could be done on wood that could be done on a transaxle. I was, I was, I was really hell bent for a long time. And like, as bearing started to take over and as we started going to like these juggling festivals and like started to see these yo-yo contests and especially like in the very early days of, of THP team high performance, which was a demonstration team out of a kite store in Honolulu that, uh, that Yomega contracted to become like their promotional team. Mm-hmm. Um, these kids, you know, much younger than us started showing up at contests using all the ball bearing stuff and they were good. Yeah. Um, and, and I was like, I was being very stubborn about it and I was being really stupid about it, but like I was hell bent on proving that like, there was nothing that you could do on a bearing that I couldn't also do on wood. Yeah. And for little while (laughs) for like a very short little window of time because the tricks had not caught up to the technology i could so there was like a short little window where like that seemed plausible because at the time it was because the tricks were nothing um and then as soon as uh as soon as the players started to really push into the abilities of the technology like wood axles became so obsolete so fast yeah. i mean i i remember it was literally like a matter of a week when i was like yeah 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 wood axle wood axle and then you know on that friday i was like i need to switch <laughs> no, <laughs> like, it wasn't no- it wasn't a week oh. because it wasn't a week because you held that line for a long time and i remember the point where you surrendered <laughs> It was, it was in 99. Yeah. It was after it was, I it was, Tallahassee. It was in 99 and it was while I was working for Team Losi because yeah. when I first started working for Team Losi, I was putting wooden spintastics axles in their yo-yos to go and demo with. Nice. I was literally taking out the bearings and putting in wooden axles and going out and demoing that way. So I was, you know, I was selling yo-yos with ball bearing axles and demoing them with wood axles in them and people couldn't tell, which I mean, you know, in my, in my credit, like that's pretty good. Yeah. But there was definitely there, there came that point where I was like, this doesn't work anymore. I can't, I can't keep up. And I, and it was because I couldn't keep up with my own ideas. Like that was, it wasn't even trying to keep up with other people. It was, I have this idea and this idea and this idea and this idea for a trick. And I just couldn't pull it off with wooden axles. And then at some point I graduated from college. Actually, I didn't even graduate at that point. Like I had, I did an internship. Was this when you were interning at the Simpsons? No, I worked for the Simpsons. I was interning at Bruckheimer. I went to LA. I, you know, graduated, like was last semester, did an internship, which, you know, I knew I was going to move to LA anyway, so I just moved to LA. For my internship, I had to fly out here to get the internship ahead of time. I was the first class that did it, so I had to do it on my own dime. So this would have been 96. Mm-hmm. So we'll say two years. So two years after I come back, I had first come to checked out LA. I'm like with my friends, I go, we got to go to this comic book store. What comic book store? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All I know is that I was like, it's on Melrose, and I was like trying to get a, 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 a I was trying to get the bus from Melrose back up to Hollywood. And I was here, and, was, and, they, and my mom was like, "Oh, that's that's Golden Apple. Yeah, that's that's the comic book store. We're going, we'll go." And we went there. I was told later that Bill wasn't there a lot, but you know, 
he was there. And in retrospect, he was always there. I rolled in there and I was like, Bill, you don't know me. You don't remember me, but check it out. I work at this new, I work at a yo-yo place. I like make yo-yos and juggling equipment and all this kind of stuff like that now. He's like, wow, good job, kid. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations, random stranger. Exactly. And so I got the, so I was like, that's, so this is the place. I I didn't know the name of the place. I got the name of the, so I now knew that it was Golden Apple Comics. I got their business card. I come back to LA, I come back to Florida and I like sent him our catalog and some like multicolor string because we had multicolor string. Multicolored string. What? I know what. <laughs> so I sent him some stuff and I was like, cool. Thanks for all the inspiration. I graduated, uh, moved out there and living on the, you know, living on Venice Beach. I was like writing, writing screenplays, wanted to make movies. Yeah. So by that point, again, this would have been. 97 so yo-yo was starting to pick up i was looking for something to write and again greg knew that the yo-yo boom was coming because he was buddies with dale oliver like arnie dixon had left duncan to go start super yo like he would like everybody was gearing up for this big Which, mass market before thing. it was called super yo it was called like dixon toys or arnie's toys or something um, but he had, yeah, he had started off, he had left Duncan and what he did is he just started sourcing like random cheap yo-yos from China okay. and just slapping his name on the side of them. And that's what he was selling. And then once he made enough money, he had a better yo-yo that he had designed. Um, yeah. and that was, that was how he paid for the tooling for the first yo-yos of what became super yo. Everybody was kind of like ramping up. Greg said, Hey, you used to always shoot your mouth off that you could write a better yo-yo book. So do it. Like start at start at Brain Twister and go from there. As we were saying, like the that's where the yo-yo book stopped. And we were like, but here's all this other great stuff we're doing. This thing called Chain Reaction. And like so many tricks that I never had named. Like, like, yeah. like muscle memory tricks. I had done one little piece of concept art when I was in Tallahassee to, you know, I think it was in Tallahassee just to show off like I could do a better yo-yo book and then threw it away. Like just left it. Didn't think about it. So Greg was like, I lined up a publisher, do it. So I'm sitting there like working on this yo-yo book. By that point I had actually gotten a job at the, the Simpsons, the TV show, the Simpsons, just Mm -hmm. as a PA, you know, my job was 85% just getting, lunch and coffee for the writers and it was exactly what you would want for a minimum wage hollywood job as you were saying the team high performance worked for yomega as the mass market like bandai was coming and everyone knew it right and so they bandai hired team high performance who at the time were again were the only ones who like had kids that could yo-yo right that was the because at the time it was all it was like older guys who were like holdouts from back in the day yeah and then there was the older young guys which was us so like we were all like in our 20s but there weren't any like there weren't any kids like under the age of you know 16 or so who were really good yo-yo players except this team well, and more importantly, there was nobody like as you're saying, like there was these old guys who were the holdouts for again, like Dale Oliver is a perfect example. The last man in 1970, the youngest guy mm-hmm. in 1970 was, you know, 50, 60 years old at this point. 
Right. So the team in Honolulu, because Alan Nagao, who owned that shop, actually bothered to keep a, a team. And he was he was working with Yomega back when they were just a uh, museum store company. Right. And so they were so that was that was so Yomega had them. Well, when Bandai kicked this up, they're the only ones out there. So Bandai scooped them up through gobs of cash mm-hmm. at Allen and he turned it into the teal shirt brigade that it became. Well, that left Yomega proper with no demonstrators. So they asked Greg, hey, do you know anybody that would be a demonstrator? Now, at this point, you know, you had tattoos and a mohawk and Yomega was scared of that. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so- I, rem- I remember calling Alan Nagao and asking for a job with THP. And and this was the funniest convert. This was the this is the funniest conversation. And I've brought this up to Alan since then, and he and I both had a really good chuckle over it. So this is before I created Five A, and this is when I yeah. I had already made a name for myself as a One A player. Um, and I called him up and was like, "Hey, I, I understand that you're hiring demonstrators. Um, I'd like to be on your team." And he's like, "Oh, okay. Uh, can you do uh, two handed shoot the moon?" And now at the time, almost nobody could do two-handed shoot the moon. It was like, that was like the top level impossible two-handed trick. And I was like, no, I'm primarily a one-handed player. And he was like, oh, so you need to practice more. And I was like, (laughs) no, I really don't. Um, I think that there's a lot of room still in 1A and I don't need to do 2A to be a great yo-yo demonstrator. And he goes, oh, well, all of our demonstrators are two-handed players. So thanks anyway, click. And he just straight hung up on me. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I mean, which was hilarious in retrospect, you know, because that was like not long after that was when there was that massive like 1A renaissance and that's what took over everything. And I was... I was ahead of the curve on that because I was making all the shit up myself. Well, that was the, yeah, the THP at that point had their whole um, plan. You know, they, they were the mall demonstrators. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, the whole, the 1A Renaissance happened when they left the scene. Yeah. But, but before that, again, they were, they were big. They were in motion. Yomega Corporate, also like Alan Amaral. Like that, as you know, that company, that side of the company, they still wanted some of their own guys mm-hmm. because they still had two lines at this point. They had their mass market deal with Bandai, but then they all, they were still selling their, you know, their, their stuff. Right. So they called Greg and was, and Greg's like, there's this kid in LA, he's writing a book for us. Maybe you call him. So I get a call and they're like, Hey, can you send us a video? Like show us if you can do some yo tricks. I was like, sure. You know, so I videotaped myself again, 1997. <laughs> um, make a video, send it over there. Like, here's all the things I can do kind of thing. And they're like, wow, you really can do the tricks. And I went, yeah. They said, yeah, you should, we should, we should talk more when, yeah, because it's a, it's this job where you would, you come work for us and, um, you know, do doing demonstrations at like trade shows and school works and all and, and things like that. And, and when you're not out in the uh, field, you can, uh, you'll be back here as part of the member of the team at the office. And I went, whoa, whoa, hold on a second here. Wait, I, let me explain something. I am literally living on Venice Beach. I wake (laughs) up whenever I want. I drive in and hang out with the writers of The Simpsons and get them coffee. And then I come home, skimboard up and down the beach or like 
go out dancing in Hollywood and you want me to move to Fall River, Massachusetts, a, a place that is so far, like to get to Fall River, Massachusetts, you don't even fly into Boston. You fly into Rhode Island. Oh, <laughs> oh that sounds I said, like the worst thing ever. I said, I will gladly be your West Coast guy. Cause I know how travel, like I know how rep work works. You know, you can have a wet, you should have a West coast guy. Yeah. I live, I can jog to LAX from my place. It's cool. And they're like, Nope, no, thank you. And I went, all right, well, it's been fun. <laughs> so oh, about, amazing. we'll say four weeks later, plus or minus, they call back and go, okay, you can stay in LA. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. This was, this was a real, like, um, like a, a, a Zen story that I still to this day tell. At this point, I had, um, I had finished the book. And I got this offer, you know, this job offer. And I went to, I went, I talked to Ian Max Tonegram. I remember as Ian. He was one of the big, like one of the top writers on, on The Simpsons at the time. And he was like, he was one of the guys that was, you know, nice to me. They were all rare. They were all really cool. But he was, you know, like I was friendly with him. I said, Ian, I need some advice. He said, what's up? He's like, I got another job offer. Now at this point, this seems really clandestine. In right. retrospect, Every, every PA jumps. Like if you're, if you're, you know, like if you're still a PA after a little while, you should have jumped, you know, but I didn't realize this was like, no. So I feel like I'm being really good. I said, Ian, I need some advice. He goes, what's the job? We're for a yo-yo company. What does that involve? Well, I'd pretty much be like, uh, you know, going out and doing like school shows and demos at like trade shows, things like that, you know, just show, showing off yo-yo tricks and doing this. And he says, what do you want to be doing? You know, I said, well, you know, I really, I, you know, want to make movies and like, I'm really conscious I'm writing movies and comedy, like fun stuff. And he says, I think you should take the job because it'll be really good for your timing. Like you can learn comedy, like all, all the guys around here, all these writers, a few of them came from National Lampoon's and they're just kind of writers. Then there's like Schwartz, who is just happens to be genius. But the rest of us all had stand-up days, like even like Mike Scully, who's like the like guy in charge at that point, right. who you would never expect to be a stand-up guy. He's like, he had, you know, you got to spend some time learning how to deal with people. So it's very valuable for comedy to get some stage time, even if you're not a stage guy. And second, if you want to, how can you expect to tell stories if you don't have stories to tell? Like get out there and get some stories. That is such amazing life advice. It is. It was like, I, I, uh, exactly. I owe Ian so much for that. Like one little bit of advice. And he, and he was just like, and he, he went on, he's just like, man, if I have to read one more story, one more script about three 20 something sitting around LA trying to sell a script, I'm going to fucking kill someone. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, yeah, man, get out there and get some stories. And so I was like, dude, I will. I will take your advice, my friend. So I called Yomega back, took the job. My first official yo-yo gig as a professional was to go out to Prim Nevada, uh, the World Yo-Yo Contest in Prim Nevada in 1998. 